The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. It's Thursday on the West, Friday on the East. Many are stuck somewhere in between. Welcome to Beyond Reality Radio with me, Jason Hawes, and the always awesome JV Johnson. Well, that's going to do it for tonight. Hope everybody enjoyed yeah, themselves. I'm, I'm beat. What about you? <laughs> you sound like you might have a cold. You know what? It's that time of the year. If you go back and you listen to the, the show when we did it last year at the same time, mm-hmm. I had a cold, and I've got it again. It's just and that it's that seasonal transition where it's kind of cold, kind of warm. Yeah, you can't, I mean, yeah. It's, and it's always like, man, sometime in November, a little December, but then it, January or February, I always get it again, and it just kills me. Yeah, it's a tough time of year. It's it's easy to get sick this time of year for sure. I hate it. Yeah, I, hate I had it. A, I had a touch of one uh, too for the last few days, and I'm, I'm starting to come out on the other side. But you know, I, I just want to take a second again, uh, and we hate doing this. But, um, you know, obviously another national tragedy in uh, California and, um, you know, just an unbelievable horror again. And our hearts and our prayers and our thoughts out to all the families affected by another mass shooting in the United States. Unbelievable how uh, common this is becoming. And there's got to be there's got to be some some way of just stopping this. I I know you, you can't monitor every single person in the world, but it's it's a shame our our hearts of course are broken to all those families and uh they're all in our prayers but you know we don't like to get political on the show and we won't um but man this is a debate that needs to continue to go on and uh you know i think a lot of it has to do with it's it's a it's a cultural thing i think we need to start looking at ourselves as people and how we how we treat other people just in general uh, all the way i mean look how look how um um, uncivil our politics are right now. I mean, that yeah. permeates into the way people treat other people. There's no civil discourse. You don't, you don't agree with me. I hate you. That's pretty much what's happening. And it's this, this is one of the symptoms as far as I'm concerned. There's definitely a lot of anger and I'm not going to sit here and point fingers to any side or whatever, no, but both sides, I can definitely, sides. I can definitely say, yeah, and that's the thing. And somewhere uh, people need, well, they just need to understand that we're still, whether we're in the same country, we have different beliefs, but we're still one big family. I mean, this is who we are, and it's just it's a shame to see the way things are going now. And and I hope to God that we're uh, we're able to come together again. I, I don't know. I just yeah. don't, I don't even know what to say. There's nothing you really can say. Um, again, hug your children extra long tonight and tomorrow um here's a here's an interesting story that i thought would be nice first of all let me just say we're going to be talking with wc james jameson um he's a professional treasure hunter and an author he's got a series of books called buried treasure buried treasures of america 36 books in that series and counting as he continues to add to them but he's also done some treasure hunting himself and he's found some pretty cool things so we're going to have a great conversation with him yeah, we got to ask him about the Oak Island thing. Though. We definitely have to ask him about the Oak Island. The show comes back in just a couple of days. It does. It does. Yeah. Um, but here's an interesting thing. Talking about family. Tell me if you think this is weird. A flight attendant uh, went above and beyond what would be considered her job duty. When a mother who was on this flight, it was a domestic flight uh, for the Philippine Airlines. She ran out of formula for her infant. So the flight attendant breastfed the the baby because there was nobody else had formula on the flight i you know i'm not sure i first of all if, if i was the mom i'm not sure i'd let that happen I'd, I'd i'd take the couple hours let the baby you know be hungry and knowing that you'd be able to feed it as soon as you landed but that's just weird well and 
and I agree with you as where we are in this world, I guess. Yeah, I, I look at it the same, but also we need to remember that for you know, thousands of years, there were individuals whose jobs were to breastfeed That's true. children for Wet, people. Nurses. And, and, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And there were, there were all in villages. I mean, it wasn't an uncommon thing for another <laughs> villager. So yeah. And I, and I get it. It's definitely, it's one of those personal connection things that, that you, you look at, but then I think the world is so, there's too many people out there in the world right now that are closed minded if they see a mother breastfeeding a baby it's like i can't believe you're doing that well, in public yeah, and that that's just you know. and that's just the whole thought of it is ridiculous i yeah. mean this is a normal thing it's yeah. so but uh i don't know I, I guess i look at it like it was i'm i'm happy she was there for the mother if the mother's okay with it then i'm okay with that i don't, I don't have a problem with that <laughs> well as long as the mother was okay with it yeah, i mean i yeah. think that's the main thing yeah i don't know that i have a problem with it from a philosophical standpoint but it just seems a little strange to me uh the the woman's the 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 flight attendant said she heard an infant crying and she said a cry like that will make you want to do anything to help so she did everything she could and uh fed literally the baby. So, there you right. go. i mean <laughs> i just right. thought, thought it was an interesting story and uh, pr- it, it poses some interesting uh dilemmas for people i would imagine and, and i agree with you and it's one of those things where i guess i if it was my kid i i guess i would i would feel awkward about it but then again if a mother is okay with it, then I guess then I, I, I don't have any anywhere to to comment on it. So um, just because you mentioned Oak Island and the show coming back next week, I think it's Tuesday night it comes back on air. I believe the 13th. Is this yeah. the fifth season? What season is this? Do we remember? Oh, it's four, uh, five yeah. or six or something like that, yeah, right? something. Yeah. Well, um, you know, we've been shuffling guests around for Monday night's program, and we're going to bring, bring uh, Frank Joseph into the show uh, for a part of it anyway. Um, we've had him on kind of recently, but he is an expert on things like Oak Island, and uh, he's going to talk a little bit about the history of Oak Island and where it stands currently before that show airs on Tuesday night. That's that's going to be great. Yeah. And so make sure you tune in. And then we've also got Rodney Asher coming on, filmmaker, whose feature debut, a subjective documentary, Room 231, uh, looked at Stanley Kerbright's uh, The Shining through the eyes of five very different people. Uh, and so, And we're going to be talking about where a lot of people believe that there's little things that are put in the movie because Kirkbright's trying to say that he was he faked the moon uh, the moon landing. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I've seen the documentary and there are some interesting things. The, the I, I will say this: the filmmaker makes some really good points, and we're going to talk to him on t- uh, Tuesday night. Um, but some of the other things that he points out, I feel like oh, that's just that was just a mistake. That was just an error. That was just one of those things that that they missed in editing. You know, it's just a mistake. I don't see any real relevance to that particular point. But it's a mixed bag, and I'm going to encourage people to watch it and make up their own minds. Maybe even watch it before we have him on Tuesday night, and uh, then you'll have some questions for him. Yeah, I just always, and you and I look at it very much the same way, where we've talked about this, where you'd think, you know, he knew eventually he'd pass on, so, of course, the, the threat of of the government wouldn't be there after that. You would have thought that he would have left something out there just saying, well, and God knows, maybe he did and it was just caught before. I I was thinking about that because we mentioned it last night. Maybe he felt the threat continued to his family even after his death and that if he said something, maybe his family would have been in danger. Well, the possibility is definitely there. Yeah. So, well, if you haven't yet, head over to facebook.com slash Radio, like the Facebook page for us. Then head to beyondrealityradio.com 
where you can find all the stations we are on across the country. You can download the smartphone apps. You can uh, listen right from the website and so much more. So make sure you check that out. If you download the show from iTunes or anywhere else, do us a favor and just rate it for us. It helps push it forward, makes it easier to find. And that's what it's all about. All right, so let's uh, take a break. And when we come back, we'll bring in W.C. Jameson. He is a professional treasure hunter and an author. His website is his name, wcjameson.com. He's written over 100 books, 36 of which are part of the Buried Treasures of America series. We're going to have our hands full tonight. All right, you'll listen to Jason JV, Beyond Reality Radio. We'll be back after this. Did you know that online retailers like Amazon have constant deals that can save you money on the things you buy every day? It's no joke. Save 40 50%, even 80% on great products. And all you have to do is know about them. Noodle Shark is the way to be alerted when something good is coming your way. Noodle Shark is the social media page that lists great deals that not only save you money, but give you the deals before anyone else has them. All you have to do is find Noodle Shark on Facebook. Search it as The Noodle Shark. That's The Noodle Shark because you deserve to save too. Become a shark and save. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash Johaw. That's J-O-H-A-W. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome back to the program. It's Beyond Reality Radio with Jason and JV. Tonight we're going to be talking about lost treasure. We've got W.C. Jameson, who is a professional treasure hunter and an author with us tonight. His website is wcjameson.com. He's got over 100 books to his credit, including the Buried Treasures of America series, which totals 36 books and counting. W.C., welcome to Beyond Reality Radio. It's great to have you on with us tonight. Well, thank you very much. Happy to be here. Hey, welcome to the show. So when did you first become fascinated and interested in uh, buried treasure? Uh, I was 11 years old, as a matter of fact. Um, I was um, uh, gathered up by a a team of professional treasure hunters. They had a map and uh, were in search of uh, 100 gold ingots. Uh, hidden in a cave in the uh, Guadalupe Mountains of West Texas. I was I brought along as a chore boy. I kept the uh, campfire going, washed the dishes, gathered firewood, but I also got to go out with them while they were searching for this uh, cache of gold ingots, and I was uh, I was with them when they found it. And I got to help them unload the uh, or carry the carry the ingots out of the out of the cave and down the uh, side of the mountain to the to the campsite. Uh, there was a uh, I, I wasn't entirely sure at 11 years old what a gold ingot was, but there was a kind of a magical feeling relative to that whole experience, and I knew that uh, this was something that I'm going to I was going to be associated with for pretty much the rest of my life, and that turned out to be true. I think every boy, I think every boy, and maybe girl as well, I don't know, uh, as, a, as a man, I know when I was a boy, any talk of buried treasure or the possibility of wandering in the woods and finding you know, a hole that, that you could dig and f- uncover something of value, that in itself is kind of a, 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 a very alluring and almost has a siren-like uh, quality to it, doesn't it? 
I agree with you. And uh, it, when you think about it, uh, some of our uh, finest literature over the past uh, few thousand years has been associated with the search for lost treasure. You, you, we can go clear back to um, the search, uh, Jason and the Golden Fleece. Uh, that story is a couple of thousand years old. Uh, in more recent times, you've got uh, who hasn't read uh, uh, Treasure Island, the adventures of all of those pirates and right. uh, and lost treasure, and uh, the uh, my book series, the uh, what the publishers are calling the Buried Treasures of America series. Uh, the first one debuted, I think, in 1988, and uh, they're still going strong. And I probably communicate with people on the order of about uh, five or six times a week relative to uh, various notions on where some treasure might be or mounting an expedition or uh, just exchanging information. Well, and you said it best, JV, even when kids or even adults, I mean, here, we I think we've got like six metal detectors and just going out <laughs> with, with my sons, uh, and they've been doing it since they were three or four, but going out with metal detectors and they could find something as small as an old soda can. And it's like finding just, it's fine. It's just as good as finding gold to them. And it's amazing. But even as an adult, it's one of those things where you get out and the excitement is always there. Anytime that thing goes off and you're starting to dig, you just you you can only imagine what you're going to find, and it's it's just an amazing feeling. Yeah, and every once in a while you get lucky and uh, maybe find some coins, maybe find a watch or a ring, uh, or maybe uh, a cache of gold or silver ingots. It's happened before. It's uh, it's still happening today. Uh, it's it's been amazing to me uh, how many uh, uh, treasures lost and buried uh, that are still being found today. The search continues for uh, for a lot of these. This is kind of a short segment, so I don't want to get into any of the details of the books yet. But I do want to ask about this alluring appeal of treasure hunting in itself. Is it is it is the appeal? Do you think WC the same type of appeal we have when we go play a you know one point four billion dollar lotter uh, Powerball lottery ticket, or is it something more complicated and more complex than that? Well, I think it's a couple of things. Uh, everybody, I think, has dreams of, of being rich. Uh, those dreams may involve uh, finding lost treasure. Dreams may involve winning the lottery. Uh, those dreams may involve inheriting a lot of money from somebody. Uh, I've been on probably well over 200 expeditions, and while we've been lucky sometimes, we've we've also had a number of failures. Several years uh, of experience doing this, I found that what satisfies me the most is the quest. It's the search. It's the adventure. Uh, even those expeditions uh, that we that we uh, undertook, where we found nothing, we still had an adventure, and we always came back fulfilled uh, to to one degree. Yep. Do we lose you? We have... find something every time he goes out is lying to you. That just doesn't happen. There's no. a there's a lot of um, you know reports and legends and stories and I'm sure wading through all of that is probably somewhat arduous. But at the same time, when you hit on one that you start to find some substance to, that's got to be rewarding in itself. Uh, yeah, that's part of the quest. Uh, a lot of uh, most of my expeditions uh, involve uh, probably a great deal more research and uh, study uh, site and situation analysis before we actually go into the field. We've spent 
for three years researching a uh, a bear cache, uh, and then go up and uh, the expedition may take uh, two, three, four weeks or so. Uh, so the more time you spend preparing relative to your research and uh, in studying of, of the situation, uh, the less time you spend. In um, can be good depending on where your field is. If if your field in the desert where you have limited resources like water and food, this could be good. We're having a, a little bit of a difficult time here. You're breaking up. I'm assuming you're on a cell phone, WC. We're going to take a break, and we're going to have uh, Slick Eddie give you a call back to try to establish a better connection. But we are talking with W.C. Jameson. He's a professional treasure hunter and an author. Check out his website. It's his name, W.C. Jameson, no periods after the initials, wcjameson.com. And make sure you head over to facebook.com slash beyondrealityradio. Like that Facebook page for us. Then head to beyondrealityradio.com where you can find all the stations we are on across the country. You can download the smartphone apps, which will allow you to listen live, catch past shows all on the go, and more. Or any night we are live, feel free just to go to the website, beyondrealityradio.com. Click the Listen Live or the Listen Live in Chat button. And you can listen right there while hanging out at the website and hanging out with a great community of people. Tonight we're talking with W.C. Jameson. He is a professional treasure hunter and an author. His website is his name, wcjameson.com. He's got over 100 books to his credit. That's not that's not just a few books. That's a library. He's got a library to his credit. It really does. <laughs> including 36 books under the series uh, that's called Buried Treasures of America. And W.C., hopefully our, our connection's a little bit better here. Um how many lost treasures exist in North America that we're aware of? Just a ballpark figure. Uh, that we are aware of hundreds, uh, literally hundreds. And uh, there are a whole lot more that we uh, probably don't know about. Uh, probably not a year goes by, but what I don't uh, glean some information on uh, a, a new one, new to me way. Uh, this is mostly as a result of scouring archives, prowling libraries, uh, reading old journals, diaries, uh, uh, old manuscripts, and uh, things like that. Well, and you always hear of people, whether they're metal detecting or whatever, overseas in places that have so much more history than the U.S., finding all these gold coins, whether it's Roman coins or, or things like that. And there are just, a, there's endless ones throughout the U.S. as well. Sure. Yeah. Undoubtedly. When we talk about the ones that we know about, and you said you've you know scoured archives, records, diaries, journals, whatever it happens to be, to uncover hints and information about this, what's the biggest source? I mean, if we look at history, you know, this continent was settled by those who might have uh, the ability to bury treasure or hide treasure, what, uh, 400, 500 years ago. Um it hasn't been that long. So what's the biggest source of these treasures? Well, uh, I can uh, a lot of the a lot of the gold and silver caches in North America, this includes the United States uh, and Mexico. Spanish mining when the, when the Spanish uh, uh, arrived in this continent and undertook exploration, one of the things that they were most concerned about was a search for precious minerals. Uh, these exploration teams carried along with them geologists, engineers, and miners. And when they would find uh, outcrops of gold or silver, copper, uh, lead, zinc, other minerals that they felt that they uh, that they needed for um, uh, their, whatever their purposes, 
they undertook mining operations. There are, there are literally hundreds of Spanish mining operations uh, all over this country. Uh, I live in central Texas, and there are uh, within probably there are the remains of something like 25 or 30 old Spanish mines. Uh, Most of the information that I have found that has led to successful discoveries and recoveries, I found in uh, archives uh, in Mexico City and surrounding area that told about mining operations. uh, The the ore was processed into ingots with gold or silver, uh, loaded onto mules or burros, and then transported from the mining areas in Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, back to government and church headquarters in Mexico City. Uh, along the way, more often than not, um, these, these, these pack trains carrying uh, precious minerals were attacked, attacked by bandits, attacked by Indians. Uh, bandits uh, surely wanted uh, the, uh, the, the, the ore. Uh, the Indians... Uh, couldn't have cared less about it. They were mostly concerned about trespass into their territory. But during these attacks, uh, the gold was often unloaded and hidden, and then uh, the the or the, uh, uh, those that weren't killed made an escape to Mexico City, where they reported the incident. Now, uh, under normal circumstances, the government would mount an expeditionary that can recover the gold, but because the Spanish army was so uh, uh, they were so busy putting out fires right around uh, Mexico City with the various uh, skirmishes that they were having with the Indians, with the indigenous uh, peoples there, that they often did not go back to recover these treasures. We found uh, accounts of some of these experiences in these old archives and monasteries and museums and uh, and uh, libraries in in Mexico City that led us to. Uh, some of these caches that, uh, in some cases, were 300, 350 years old. Wow. Um, for the sake of understanding and definitions here, because I'm not exactly sure, what is the difference between between uh, ore, let's say gold, that is that is taken out of the ground, and an ingot? How, how, what's the transition? The, uh, the mineral that is dug out of the ground, say let's say gold or silver, it's then processed. That is, it is separated from the rock matrix and it's melted down, poured into a mold, and when it cools, uh, that what comes out of that mold is the ingot. Uh, we, have, we have recovered ingots that have weighed uh, six and seven pounds on up to 45, 50 pounds. Wow. And when you talk about we've recovered these, when you go on an expedition like that and you find these, who owns the gold? Does it become yours? Uh, if I find it, it's mine. Yes, <laughs> and and I'm assuming you have found some in your adventures. We've had we've had some successes. Yes. Um, when we look at the totality of these treasures that exist in North America, are you looking at shipwrecks as well? Uh, you know, I, I do uh, mostly out of curiosity. Uh, the, the, uh, shallow water. Uh, treasure recovery has always appealed to me. There, there are there are, again dozens and dozens and dozens of sunken ships. Many of these ships carrying uh, riches of one kind or another. Uh, shallow water recovery is a is a different ball of wax. Uh, land based recovery. Uh, most shallow water recovery involves a, a, a much greater investment than uh, than terrestrial uh, recovery. 
uh, I got started in land-based recovery, and uh, I still, I, I'm still uh, busy. I haven't gone to all of the places that uh, that uh, I want to go. Uh, if I ever had some discretionary time, I would love to undertake a uh, shallow water recovery operation off the continental shelf of, of the Atlantic Ocean, uh, along the uh, Georgia, Florida borders, uh, Carolinas. Again, dozens and dozens and dozens of uh, uh, ships, Spanish, British. Uh, even French uh, have gone down, and uh, some of those were carrying some uh, some valuable treasures. I mean, it doesn't. Uh, it's not uncommon for every you know, say, decade or so, for some announcement that uh, an exploration crew has uncovered or found um, a famed shipwreck, and they're about to recover the contents of it. That's not an uh, an unusual occurrence. Uh, not at all. Uh, and it's the other thing is a lot of land-based recoveries are never announced, so you don't know um, about all of the uh, all of the discoveries and recoveries that take place. It's, that's much harder to do when you're doing shallow water recovery because you got to get permits in a lot of places. Uh, you've got boats, in some cases, large boats, and if you are if you are involved in uh, diving. And recovery. Uh, this is going to be pretty obvious to the Coast Guard or whoever happens to be uh, patrolling the uh, the coastal waters there. So uh, these these are uh, uh, announced uh, simply because everybody already knows about the recovery operation anyway. Uh, you can be much more secretive on land. Yeah, I imagine in addition to being just more complicated uh, to make a uh, water-based recovery effort, it probably takes longer. So you're in one place for a longer period of time, therefore you probably attract more attention. Yeah, and a lot of it depends on the depth. A lot of it depends on how complicated the recovery is. Uh, in some cases, you may have to uh, remove uh, an overburden of, uh, of, of bottom sand that may be 8, 10 feet deep. Well, and when you're finding, when you're actually finding gold, whether it be coins or, or something under the water, are you, do you rightfully take ownership to that? Or uh, I know a lot of times they're usually what's found is being split with the, uh, sometimes the country that it originally came from and, and others, correct? Uh, it depends. Uh, years ago, uh, before uh, recovery specialists uh, started having some successes, you were able to harvest whatever you could, and it was yours. Uh, when uh, I'll give you an example, when uh, uh, what's his name down there in Florida found the Atoka and started bringing up millions of dollars worth of gold, silver. Uh, jewels, uh, artifacts, and everything else, and uh, it, it was when it was clear that this amounted to millions and millions and millions of dollars, the politicians got involved, and they thought, well, here's a source of source of income. So now, and and, and a lot of this, uh, this also uh, has a lot to do with how far out it is. If it's beyond the uh, the uh, whatever the 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 legal limits are uh, you can you can get away with a lot more things, but within certain within within a certain uh, distance from shore, uh, you you're basically whatever whatever you recover you have to report to whatever state uh, is associated with that particular part of the uh, part of the ocean, and you the, the truth is you don't get to keep most of what you find. Uh, the, another truth is uh, all all a state has to do or the federal government has to do is declare uh, an artifact, and that artifact can be a, a, a gold ingot, a gold bar. Just declare it a, 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 uh, 
a, a historical item, a legitimate historical item, and, and they they can take possession of it. Now you can work out a deal where you you are operating the recovery of this and uh, bargain for a percentage, and it varies from uh, it varies from place to place, and it varies relative to the potential of the wealth that can be that can be recovered. Um, but the truth is, uh, a, a significant percentage of what you find uh, technically goes to the state. Sometimes all of it. Well, and I know uh, we, 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 we we know we we have we have peers who have found caches and 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 knew no better than to announce it to the newspapers and television. And it was declared uh, uh, the, the cash of, in, in one case. I'm thinking of Arizona. This was back in the 70s. The uh, state of Arizona declared the uh, 30 gold ingots that this uh, man uncovered. They declared it a historical artifact. The cash was uh, the gold ingots were a historical artifact because they were marked with a Spanish insignia. And the state took possession of every one of them. Jeez, and I know, like we, uh, JV and I, were big into watching that whole Curse of Oak Island, and I know that they were dealing with something just recently where the Canadian government had actually changed some laws, and it was going to be a problem if they found anything on the island uh, with what they were able to retain and what they had to actually turn over. Oh yeah, if there is if there is a, a fortune involved, uh, other people are going to get involved. People want it. their hands. Yeah, All right, we're... This, this this is why this is why. Uh, Keeping your mouth shut is a good idea. So so rule number one that we've learned here tonight is if you're out treasure hunting and you find something, keep your mouth shut. Well, the first thing you need to do is apprise yourself of the, uh, they're called salvage and recovery laws. Each state, they're all kind of similar, but each state has its own salvage and recovery uh, uh, laws related to salvage and recovery. That includes uh, lost and buried treasure. Uh, whatever you decide to do, you should you should you should uh, learn exactly what what those laws state, and uh, then you can make up your mind relative to what you want to do. All right, all right. So we're going to take a quick break. We are talking with W. C. Jameson, a professional treasure hunter. You'll listen to Jason and JV Beyond Reality Radio. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to the show. It's Beyond Reality Radio. Jason and JV, our guest tonight, W. C. Jameson. He is a professional treasure hunter and an author. Written over a hundred books. Thirty-six of those in, are included in the Buried Treasures of America series. His website is wcjameson.com. This is a kind of a short segment, WC, but um, if someone was interested themselves into venturing out somewhere, say they, they've heard of a legend local to them uh, of, a, of a lost or a buried treasure or whatever it happens to be, how would you recommend they get started? Well, I'd, uh, I'd, I wouldn't certainly because it's, uh, it's a great adventure. There's no sense to me having all the fun. Uh, a lot of people uh, get started. Um, over the last several years, dozens and dozens of people have been started by reading my books. Uh, in fact, uh, some few people have read my books and uh, taken some of these accounts of lost mines and buried treasures, taken them farther than I ever took them, and actually had some success in locating them. Uh, I cheer them on. Uh, this happens every once in a while. Uh, preparation is an important thing. A lot of it depends on where you're going. If you're, if you're going into the desert, uh, you need to. Uh, if you're going in in the summer, you need to. You need to bring water. You need to be wary of, of obstacles like rattlesnakes, uh, aridity, things like that. If um, 
if uh, you are going into a mountainous area, there are all kinds of, of uh, uh, real potential obstacles. We have encountered uh, landslides. We've encountered cave-ins. We've actually fallen off the sides of the mountain. Um, uh, just, just, just have a good idea of what you're getting into before you go out to uh, safety. You come back alive and hopefully come back with an armload of gold or silver ingots. Yeah, I imagine there's there's a, there are a lot of dangers associated with this. Um, you know, whether it's uh, physical danger or wildlife or just um, you know, even getting lost. I imagine there's a whole bunch of ways you could find yourself in some real trouble. Uh, it's possible. Yeah, we uh, we uh, myself, my, my partners, we we've always uh, we have a good sense of direction. We've never taken compasses. We never even heard of GPSs until recent years. Um, and, and we've, uh, in fact, we, we almost enjoy getting lost. That's part of the challenge. We, we would uh, immerse ourselves in, this, let's say, the Sierra Madres of Mexico. Felt like we were in places that uh, we know hadn't been mapped. We felt like other than the Indians that lived there that had been the first people in the area. Um, not everybody operates that way. A lot of people are uncomfortable unless they've got a GPS or a compass. Does it take a certain person, does it take a certain personality to uh, find this not only fascinating, but to take it to the next step and actually, uh, you know, put on uh, your prospector's hat and go out and look for this stuff? I think so. I think it takes uh, the, the, the people that I would refer to as my peers in, in what's really a goofy business, this treasure hunting. They have an incredible sense of curiosity. They have this, 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 this unbridled sense of adventure. Uh, they are by and large fearless, and another characteristic is they're all in pretty good shape. Uh, a lot of people, I've, I've met a lot of people, and in fact, just in the last couple of weeks or so, I've met some people that wanted uh, to go on an expedition, wanted me to help them organize an expedition, and uh, told them that I would prepare them as best I could, but I would not go with them, uh, simply because uh, they were overweight, they were out of shape, they were asking for trouble. I spent a lot of time uh, trying to explain to them the real and potential difficulties associated with not being in good shape if you are involved in exploring some areas where you may uh, you may be exposed to some strenuous activity like mountain climbing. A lot of these uh, areas that we uh, that we search are in are their mountainous areas. Uh, simply because we're dealing with with outcrops of of, of old crops in the sides of canyons and things like this. We're talking with W.C. Jamison. We're going to take a break here. When we come back in our next hour, we'll take your phone calls at 844-687-7669. Plus, we're going to get into some of the details. We're going to ask W.C. what like maybe his top five still yet to be rediscovered treasures are in the Americas. And as of uh, the show, tomorrow, of course, is a best of Beyond Reality Radio, as every Friday is. And we're actually in the works of making that. So it's going to be a five-day, maybe even a seven-day. We will see how it goes. <laughs> but uh, So we're going to be extending Beyond Reality Radio, making it longer. And uh, that's because, I mean, everybody's been requesting that, right, JV? Yeah, people have been requesting it. So yes. we'll make it happen. All right, again, the phone number is 844-687-7669, toll-free 844-687-7669. You listen to Jason and JV, Beyond Reality Radio. We'll be back after this. Looking for our guest's book? Go to Amazon.com slash shop slash Taps. So tonight we're talking with W.C. Jameson. He's an award-winning author of more than 100 books, 1,500 published articles and essays, 400 songs, 
which is pretty cool too. And dozens of poems. He's the creator of the popular Beyond the Grave series of books, which we'll talk about as well tonight, including books on Billy the Kid, John Wilkes Booth, Butch Cassidy, and Amelia Earhart. And he's also uh, got a series of books called Buried Treasures of America. And that's kind of what we've been talking about tonight primarily. And um, WC is a professional treasure hunter and an author. And we've been uh, speaking about this uh, for the first hour of the program. I want to continue the conversation. I also want to get into some of the specifics of some of these treasures that are still out there waiting to be uncovered. But and where can we find them? And where, and where, where can, can we, we find them? And are you free Saturday? Because exactly. I'm ready to go look for a few. In between 12 and 4. <laughs> um, do you, uh, WC, do you spend most of your time researching uh, the information behind these lost treasures, or do you spend more time out looking for them yourself? I spend most of my time uh, researching, uh, but I spend as much time as possible out uh, uh, certain. If I find something in uh, recovery or harvesting, uh, what I find is uh, is part of the process. So Slick, uh, Eddie said that uh, I think you've got some storms or something going on where you are, which is kind of causing a little bit of havoc with your phone connection. Um, so, yeah. yeah, so that's that's what the dropouts are, or why we're having the dropouts. So um, let's talk about some specifics here. Now, you've got 36 books on the subject, and, you, and, and from what I've read, 36 now, you've got more coming. Uh, are, they, are they divided up into geography or types of treasure, or how, how do the 36 books uh, divide up? They're divided up in geographical regions. Uh, some of my one of my best-selling books is Buried Treasure of Texas. Texas is pretty much a, a huge region in itself. Also, Buried of the Rocky Mountain West, Buried Treasures of the American South, and so on. And I have a, a couple of books relative to a specific. Uh, lost treasures, uh, the backstory, my search for them, uh, discovery, and, and uh, recovery. Uh, I had a recent book come out, I think it was last year, it's called Lost Canyon of Gold, where one of the uh, most elusive and iconic lost mines in America called known as Lost Adam Diggings. It doesn't get the press that the Lost Dutchman Mine gets or the Oak Island Treasure gets, but it has nevertheless been fascinating people for a century and a half. Thousands and thousands of people have searched for it. Uh, I've searched for it off and on for 40 years, and uh, I found it. And I'm in the process. Uh, in fact, I just got back from uh, an expedition out there, and I'm ready to go for another one. I'm in the process of harvesting gold. Uh, out of this mine. But the cool thing is, in the book, I not only give the backstory and the first four, basically explain where it is. And if anybody is up to it, uh, they can go harvest the gold themselves. Look at it as, as we're sort of all in this together. And like I said earlier, there's a sense of me having all the fun. I had uh, uh, more than my fair share of successes, and uh, uh, I'm happy to share. Uh, share. That's very generous. The um, There's a documentary series on Netflix that I've watched actually a couple times because I find it fascinating. It's called The West, and it discusses how uh, America became a sea to shining sea nation uh, spanning a continent. And there's a lot of discussion in the early parts of the documentary about what the Spanish were up to because uh, they were settling most of the West uh, 
first. Um, and one of the things that they did uh, with some real regularity is hunted for, and I don't remember the name of it. You probably do, but there was a was it El Dorado? There was a city, a famed city of gold that they yeah, were looking the for. Seven cities of Sibyl. Um the, uh, it was a, a legendary, uh, theoretically a legendary uh, uh, a location or locations. Uh, were cities where the where the there was so much gold that the buildings were constructed of gold. As it turns out, those didn't exist. It was strictly legend and nothing more. So that was legend. It was there was nothing more to that. Nothing more at all. It was uh, <laughs> probably uh, uh, cave dwellings uh, uh, such as you have in in, in uh, some of these cool places in Mexico and Colorado. If you if you follow their route where they were searching for these things, uh, that's pretty much where we went. Jason brought up Oak Island uh, earlier in the discussion, and it is a fascinating story of treasure. And there has been for the last four or five years. Uh, a very, very serious effort underway to uncover that treasure, far more serious than any of the previous efforts. Are you familiar with what's going on there, and what is your thought about the legend of Oak Island? I've been fascinated with uh, the Oak Island treasure uh, legend ever since I was old enough to read. I came across references to it, and I've read pretty much everything that's been available. And uh I've watched a lot of television. I've only seen a couple of episodes of the recent TV series. I find it kind of fascinating in that these uh, two guys that are behind it are kind of charming, for one thing. And, but they've also invested a lot of time, energy, and money uh, in this uh, recovery operation. Uh, this, is a, this is a mystery. This is, this is, I don't know that there's any treasure down there. Uh, somebody, somebody's went to a heck of a lot of trouble to uh, excavate and shore up that uh, shaft. Uh, for what reason, I'm not entirely sure. It seems like uh, they wanted to hide something uh, uh, really, really bad, and, and we assume that it is treasure. Uh, there, there are a lot of assumptions about what kind of treasure. Uh, some people have said that the Ark of the Covenant might be down there and things like this. The truth is, nobody knows. Uh, but uh, this is what makes this a fascinating mystery. This is, a, this is actually another quest, and um, I, I, I can't wait to uh, see what the results of that will be. And we're talking about hunting for treasure. And, and you know, I know that, uh, again, you go back to, we're talking about Oak Island before the break, and I want to continue that discussion. But I think that was the first story, and I read it, I don't know, in grade school. There was some article that our teacher handed out and said, hey, can you solve this problem? You know, and it outlined what the, the, the whole mystery was and what the problem with the recovery was. Um, and I'd been fascinated with it ever since. And now we have this television show where they're actually doing all the things that the modern technology will allow us to do to figure out what's down there. Well, it's just like, and I love the shows that you were seeing on History Channel and Discovery Channel of the guys walking around with the metal detectors, and they were they were right. going on all these old properties and stuff because it's not even about always finding gold or finding riches. It's about finding something that's been lost for possibly hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah, I find a lot of bottle caps when I do that. Yeah, I mean, and they're pretty awesome <laughs> bottle caps. Yeah, but but uh, no, it's just the fact that you're you're holding something in your hand that 
what might have been precious to somebody or important to somebody or hadn't even hasn't even been touched in hundreds and hundreds of years. And I think that's amazing. It is pretty amazing. And WC, before we went to break, we were talking about Oak Island, and I wasn't sure if I heard you correctly. Did you say you think there's something down there or there isn't something down there? No, I said uh, there's got to be something. Uh, we're not sure what it is, but somebody went to a lot of trouble to excavate a shaft that is, what is it, 180 feet or more down into the ground with all this intricate system of uh, feeder shafts that uh, filter water uh, into there to uh, basically design to stifle any, any recovery operation. And it does make you wonder, though, with all the things throughout the years, if somebody had actually found something and just never said anything. Because I know at yeah, some of the some of the episodes, yeah, some of the episodes they were talking. Uh, one uh, lady actually brought in some uh, a gold cross and some other stuff that they claimed were found uh, as part of the treasure there. And uh, so, yeah, it, it truly does make you wonder if if there still is anything there, though. We are getting ready to see season, and again, I don't know if it's five or six or four. I know it's at least five, right, uh, of this Curse of Oak Island effort. And you mentioned it as well, WC, that the amount of money, though, is it Lagina? Lagina Brothers, is that yeah. their name? Right. The amount of money that the Lagina Brothers have spent. And I don't know what they get for doing the show, which has to offset some of those costs, but I can't imagine they're getting enough well, to I'm offset sure, all the costs. But I'm sure the channel's actually kicking in quite a bit to help with the well, the cost of these excavations and but, so forth. But they were, ta- I mean, at one point I think they were talking about millions over the course of each of one of these summers where they're, where they're excavating. Do you think there could be enough treasure down there to actually um, recover that? investment a and b does it matter does it matter if they find something is something good enough that's a mystery uh you're asking me a question i can't answer <laughs> yeah, i know i know it's just fun to talk about it for sure let's talk a little bit more about some of the uh the lost treasures that you have uh researched you're and you're really really confident they're out there just waiting for someone to discover them what what tops your list well uh the, the one that is top this top my list for years was one known as the Lost Adams Diggings. Uh, I spent a great deal of time studying this, uh, searching, researching, and uh, spent a lot of time in the field, and I found it. And it's not anywhere near where most people thought it was. Uh, but all of the uh, physical landmarks, cultural landmarks, all of the identifying features of this mine uh, are there? They're all described uh, in detail in the uh, in the book. That's called uh, the title of the book is Lost Canyon of Gold, um, and we we are in the and of course the proof of the pudding is is uh, uh, finding the gold which we did, and we're in the process of harvesting it now when we can when we can find the time to get out there and spend some time doing that. So one thing I had never really considered when we'd have this discussion about lost treasure, you're, you're also talking about mines, like gold mines, silver mines, whatever it happens to be, that were either abandoned, lost to time, uh, never fully excavated. That's part of this story, too, isn't it? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of mines, uh, the, the Spaniards had to abandon a lot of mines when, when, they, were, when they were faced with Indian uprisings or when they, when they were called back to Spain. Uh, they closed up uh, a lot of mines. A lot of mines uh, were hidden, uh, uh, and uh, some were just simply abandoned. Uh, there's some some right around me right now, in uh, right here in central Texas. So some were just forgotten about through time, even the ones that were producing, just because they had to they had to leave quickly. 
Yeah, and and then uh, a lot of times we found this to be true too. A lot of times uh, the mine was just basically mined out. There there are a lot of stories of lost mines that we have actually found them. They weren't really lost at all. They were just mined out, and there wasn't anything left. And uh, so the uh, the miners, usually Spaniards, just simply abandoned it. Um, there's there's some examples of that around where I live too. Over 36 books, um, over many, many years of research and uh, collection of information, um, are, would you say that there is a, uh, a geographic um, pattern to any of this? Um, are, we, are we talking about mostly coastal uh, treasures because of uh, you know, v- visitors um, from other continents? Uh, or is it, is it pretty much spread throughout the Americas pretty evenly? Oh, it's spread out uh, throughout the, uh, the the entire North American continent. There are there are, are lost mines and or buried treasures in practically every state of the Union uh, and and down into Mexico. I don't want to um, get into uh, too much detail here because we only have a couple of minutes before the next break. But of all these that you've researched and written about, um, are they starting to get check marks next to them as, as, as being discovered? I mean, is that, is, has your work helped people find these things? It has, uh, but, but a small percentage. Um, they're, they're, uh, we, we hear about this every once in a while. A lot of people uh, that, that have been influenced by the books or inspired by the books uh, manage to stay in touch with me, and I learn about their successes and their adventures. And so on, but uh, a uh, what I think would be a significant percentage. Any any find would be significant, but there have been a handful of uh, of what I think were important discoveries uh, by people who who basically they sort of allowed me to do the research. That is, I, I do the research, I write the book, and then they read the book. But people will go into an area. Everybody sees a geographic region a little bit different. You go into a canyon or a or a, uh, side of a mountain or something like that. Everybody sees things differently, and uh, it's it's good to uh, have different sets of eyes. Uh, and and uh, I have had a lot of successes as a result of having some really astute partners who knew what the heck they were doing and uh, helped this whole process along. Have you found that uh, when you actually find references to some of these lost treasures, that the uh, the Information left behind is kind of that cliched, you know, seven paces from the big oak tree, turn west and 14 paces until you come to the big rock. I mean, is it that kind of thing? Oh, I've seen a little bit of that. Uh, mostly it's uh, – most of what I've found in archives is, is, is uh, general descriptions. We, we've – using some of these descriptions, it's taken us as much as sometimes six or seven years to find the actual location, just simply because people uh, were confused with distance, direction. Uh, people, people would describe landmarks differently from the way I would describe them, so you have to put your – Put your put your your your, 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 your get, get into the head of the uh, the Spaniard or the the Frenchman or whoever wrote the directions and try to figure out exactly what he was seeing uh, or what he was doing and uh, recreate re- recreate that and that's part of the fun. You just have to it take... may uh, may take a few extra trips, but it's 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 part of the whole adventure. All you have to do is look at a map from that time period and you can see how differently they saw things. I mean, Absolutely. it's pretty obvious. Yeah. Again, tonight our guest is W.C. Jameson, and his website is his name. You can check out all of his information there. Um, 
I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about your other book series, too, the Beyond the uh, Grave series, WC. But before we do that, I've got two quick questions related to the treasure hunting. One is we often hear about lost Confederate gold. Or is that is that something that we should dismiss, or is there really lost Confederate gold out there somewhere? No, there is, and uh, we've encountered some of it. There, uh, my experience would lead me to believe there's not as much as people think there is. But yes, there is. Uh, there is some. There's a there's this belief that uh, the uh, this organization called the Knights of the Golden Circle has cashed millions and millions, perhaps billions of dollars worth of gold and silver and other valuables, uh, uh, hedging against the notion that the South is going to rise again. Uh, but uh, most of that is, is legend. Uh, it's, it begs for good stories, but uh, uh, little substance. And then uh, kind of along the same lines, and this is not maybe not in your area of expertise, but as a treasure hunter, I'm sure you've got some information and knowledge and have looked into it. But what about lost Nazi gold. Uh, I've, I've read a bit about it. Um, there, there is a, a rumor that uh, there uh, is various locations in the United States where where some Nazi gold was cached. I, I, I hear, I, I read the stories. I can't find anything that verifies any of that. Uh, there's much more verification relative to uh, Nazi gold um, in uh, uh, hidden away in uh, Europe. Uh, where obviously they were far more active, and um, the uh, while it's it's obviously I'm not I'm so busy here stateside and in Mexico I'm not going to have time to go to Europe, so I haven't oriented a lot of my energies and in uh, time towards studying it. But it's a it's a provocative notion they they did. We do know that they seized a, a great uh, deal of wealth in the form of gold, silver artifacts, precious artworks. Uh, some of which has been recovered, but a lot of it is still missing. That alone makes for a really, really interesting story. Now, let's change the subject just for the uh, a few minutes here to talk about your Beyond the Grave series of books. Uh, some interesting names follow that Beyond the Grave title. Uh, Billy the Kid, uh, Amelia Earhart. Tell us about that series of books. Yeah, I got interested in uh, people who either disappeared or "quote unquote" died under mysterious circumstances, um, and I, I, I read their I read everything pretty much that was available uh, relative to these people, and, and, and a lot of red flags were raised. And it turns out that hunting for lost or missing people is is a great deal like hunting for lost and buried treasure. Uh, some of the same research techniques. Uh, are involved. We uh, we we learned and we have proved that uh, the that Pat Garrett did not shoot Billy the Kid. This had been rumored for like within minutes of the of the actual shooting in 1881, but we proved it. We got the FBI involved in this, and uh, we, we treated it as a missing person, and we found the man who was Billy the Kid. Uh, others had already known about him, but we we proved it. It was it was uh, it was a fascinating adventure, uh, just as much of an adventure as hunting for lost treasure. And I've got two or three books on Billy the Kid. A recent one is called uh, Billy the Kid: Investigating History's Mysteries, where we uh, uh, investigated a lot of aspects of the Billy the Kid legend and, and separated reality from truth. And the truth is actually far more exciting than the than the uh, than the legend. Also, Butch Cassidy. Uh, what most people think is Butch Cassidy was gunned down by something like 600 Bolivian soldiers in uh, 
South America because they saw the movie. Well, not, not a whole lot in that movie was accurate. Butch Cassidy actually came back to the United States, uh, spent a lot of time with old friends, with family, and passed away in 1931 in Spokane, Washington. Uh, John Wilkes Booth is another fascinating story. That was an interesting government cover-up, the whole uh, John Wilkes Booth thing. The, a lot of fun was related to the, uh, the work we did with Amelia Earhart. Uh, again, in reading uh, Earhart's history, there are a lot of red flags were raised. Uh, we learned that she did, in fact, go down in the Pacific. She landed the plane on an atoll in the Marshall Islands, she was she was seized by the Japanese and she was uh, imprisoned for six years, and then repatriated to the United States after the war was over. And the Office of Strategic Services went in and freed all of the prisoners from the Japanese prison camps. Lo and behold, they found Amelia Earhart, uh, and she was repatriated under a, a different name for a, a number of reasons. She didn't want to have anything to do with. Uh, with her past, in large part because that flight around the world was uh, was actually a spy mission. Her plane had been retrofitted with uh, uh, high tech for the time, 1937, high tech camera gear, and she was she was taking photographs of Japanese military installations on these Pacific islands. Oh wow! And uh, she was shot down. Well, you know, we're going to have to have you back on to talk about that specific uh, story as well, because those are all fascinating um, tales that need sure. to be told. But let's uh, let's jump to our listener line here. Let's bring in Doug, who has a question for you. Hey, Doug, welcome to the program. Hey, JV, Jason. Hey, welcome hey, to the uh, show. WC, I have a question for you. Shoot. Hey, uh, have you heard about the, uh, the lost gold on the Great Trail? near Minerva, Ohio. Uh, no, I haven't. Yes, uh, back in 1755, the French were taking their payroll from Fort Duquesne to Fort Detroit. And the British were after them. And they turned around, went back the other way. And when they were told by scouts the British were going to catch up to them, they buried the gold near Minerva, Ohio, about $13 million in gold coin. From what the uh, newspaper articles here say, have you searched for it? Uh, I haven't, no. But uh, there's been lots of stories about it. It's been on the Cleveland news channels. They've been looking for it for like over 200 years. They left a uh, a clue map similar to what JV was talking about. You know, so far from a tree and a rock and some springs, and it's a uh, fairly flat ground out in that area, but. Uh, Nobody's been able to find that it. Sounds like another great adventure to me. <laughs> yes. So, uh, WC, what would you recommend Doug do if he was interested in trying to help solve this mystery? Well, apparently he lives up near that uh, area, so he's got some access to it. I would, I would uh, uh, try to acquire as much information on it as possible. A lot of times... You can sort through all of the uh, information, whatever literature there happens to be. You, you get you get good at separating uh, fact from fiction sometimes, and uh, maybe maybe uh, focus down on uh, some real and potential locations and uh, go after it. And Doug, I just have to say because you got your answers here on this program, when you find this treasure, you do need to split it four ways. Okay. <laughs> we take no we take we take sixty percent, man. We take 60, and then you can split the other 40% however you want. <laughs> Doug, thanks for calling. We appreciate uh, you sharing that with us. Um, 
We only have a few minutes left with you, WC. Uh, what have you got going on next? Because given uh, what you've already done, you're always involved in a project, I can tell. Yeah, I'm still uh, harvesting gold from the Lost Adams diggings, and as are other people, because uh, when they read the book, uh, they, they go in there and harvest it themselves. We've seen evidence of, of people doing that, and that's a good thing. I've got uh, new books coming out of, uh, I think, uh, Lost Mines and Buried Treasures of the Civil War is coming out either later this year or early next year. Um, and I've got uh, just finished a book on uh, Victoria Peak, which may be an even more amazing uh, treasure mystery than the Oak Island mystery. Uh, we've got uh, up-to-date, as, as, as up-to-date as we possibly could relative to this incredible hoard that was stashed in the, inside a mountain, which is now inside a military installation. And... Uh, Getting access to it is is pretty difficult, but the the story is is amazing. It involves a bunch of colorful people, up to and including two or three United States presidents. Really? So, all right. So, I got to ask you something. Then, there's no inside information on any hidden treasure in like little old Rhode Island where I live, or maybe Cooperstown, New York, where JV's at. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there were. Oh, uh, check out check out my. That. I've got a book called. Uh, uh, buried treasures of the uh, Middle Atlantic states, the New England states. Uh, oh, New England there might states, be something okay. in there that uh, will get you excited. All right. So you're also a musician. I have to ask you about that as well because I play. And uh, you've yeah. written a lot of stuff. You've got a bunch of CDs of your own material out. You've won some awards. Tell us about that part of your life. Well, it's just another aspect of the, the creative urge. Writing is part of that. Um, searching for treasure can be very, very creative. Uh, it's my it's my golf game, I guess. Uh, I don't watch TV. Uh, I'm too old to uh, play racquetball and tennis and things like that anymore. And I've been a uh, uh, off and on a professional musician for uh, close to half a century, and I'm still enjoying doing that. And what do you play? Guitar, I imagine. Uh, mostly guitar. Uh, I just got through uh, 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 completing uh, two new uh, CDs, two new albums, where I played uh, played guitar on it, played harmonica, played bass, played dobro, and maybe something else. I don't remember. But uh, it's uh, and when the CDs come out, we're going to build a tour around it. We had a tour in Europe last year that was a great deal of fun, and we're going to we're looking at that again and. Uh, tours in New Mexico, Colorado, and maybe combine it with a little treasure hunting. We've uh, we've had a great time talking to you about this and really would like to have an opportunity to have you back and talk a little bit more about the Beyond the Grave series of books, too, because, um, as you know, this program deals a lot with the supernatural and the paranormal and the mysterious. And from what you've already described about the tales that you've told of those uh, very, very well-known uh, historical figures, it sounds like we could have a lot of fun talking about that, too. Yeah, we could. All right. Well, we definitely got to have you back on in the near future. So uh, we'll give you a shout and we'll try to set that up. Thanks so much for coming and hanging out with us tonight. And it's been a pleasure talking with you. And we look forward to talking to you again at some point. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's been my pleasure. All right. Have a great night. All right. Once again, the website is WC Jameson. That's uh, no periods uh, by the initials, just WCJameson.com. And you'll get information about um, about all of his work. Well, and I got to go there and try to find out this New England lost treasure thing. You got to 
You know, and we will, we'll see if there's anything in New York State, but let's worry about New England there's first. There's no gold here. They wouldn't have been taking gold from anywhere to anywhere else up yeah, here in true. upstate I, New York, know. you know? I mean, in Rhode Island, it's kind of, we're such a small little area. Yeah, but we, you, we at least you got a port. About. At least you got a port where things may have well, been going back and forth. I mean, here, you know, what are they going to do? Go down the Susquehanna River? I mean, it's <laughs> not really happening. True. This is true. This is true. But the fact that Rhode Island, I guess there were so many shipwrecks off of our coast that there's there's a lot of talk of lost treasure out there. And Sure. I don't know. Makes sense. But, I just don't think I'm ready to go diving looking for treasure. Yeah, I'll no. wait for a good storm to roll in and for me. <laughs> there you go. Make life a little easier. Are you tired of the costly charges of embalming a loved one? Does the hassle of meeting with the mortician interfere with your play on the back nine? Have you ever thought there's got to be a cheaper way? Crap poker sense. Save money and do it on your own time with the Crapco Home Embalming Kit. Crapco Home Embalming Kit. The Crapco Home Embalming Kit consists of all the key instruments needed to start embalming at home today. The hydro aspirator. Nasal aspirator. Cavity chemical injector. Operating scissors. Super drain tube. Suture needle set. And more. The Crapco Home Embalming Kit. Don't let Aunt Ethel's passing make you pass up a trip to the mall. Why let Uncle Dave's stroke interfere with your backstroke? Use the Crapco Home Embalming Kit to start a small business for the wife. And what better way to show that lover you care than to embalm them yourself with the Crapco Home Embalming Kit. <laughs> Our goal at Crapco is to save you money. The Crapco Home Embalming Kit. It may not be right. It may not be ethical. Hell, it may not even be legal. But with the Crapco Home Embalming Kit, you'll save on the way to the grave. Crapco, helping out the living so you can afford to die. Crapco highly recommends that you clean all home embalming kit tools before using them for cooking. Well, Mr. Butts, that was a close call. You're recovering nicely, but good thing you got here for that emergency surgery when you did. Yeah, I feel great now. Oh, and here's the bill for what the insurance didn't cover. What? Well, there goes another one. Call it, nurse. I've got lunch in 10 minutes. Crapco presents. Has this ever happened to you? Go to the hospital for a little surgery only to be stricken by huge bilitis? Well, not anymore with the Crapco Home Surgery Kit. I was having a little pain in my side and the doctor wanted $200 to look at me. A couple of minutes later on the internet, I was pretty sure it was my appendix. The wife grabbed the Crapco Home Surgery Kit we got for Christmas and 20 minutes later, we were on our way to dinner at the Olive Garden. And cleanup was a snap. Well, except the vomit. Thanks, Crapco. I got an estimate of $3,700 for a circumcision. I was able to do it myself in the comforts of my own bed with Crapco's home surgery kit. After a couple minor infections, I was up moving around like a rabbi walking by a mosque at night. And my wife, she was real happy. Thanks, Crapco. With the Crapco home surgery kit, you can perform most household surgeries in minutes and order the special add-on packs for even more cost savings, like the cardiac arama, the orthopalooza, the bariatric bonanza, and don't forget the home augmentation arsenal. Hey, baby, you're looking hot. Yeah, but I I wish these were bigger. No problem. Come over to my place. I've got the Crapco Home Surgery Kit with the Augmentation Arsenal. Can you say memories and margaritas? <laughs> Thanks, Crapco. The Crapco Home Surgery Kit normally retails for $99.95, but order today and you'll receive the Home Surgery Kit, the Orthopalooza add-on, and the decorative Crapco Catheter Curio Cabinet, all for $19.95. The Crapco Home Surgery Kit is not recommended for all surgeries and in some cases may negate your life insurance or your life. Read your policies for details. Some side effects include removing the wrong organs, scarring, and not living. So order yours today. All right, so we thank uh, W.C. Jamison for coming on the program. It was a fantastic discussion. I'm really excited to have him back to talk about uh, the mysterious deaths of people like Billy the Kid and Amelia Earhart. I mean, he was talking about a government cover-up 
for John Wilkes Booth. Now, I know the story that, uh, you know, he was uh, burned in a um, a barn that they he was held up in. Is that the story that was the cover? I don't know what, you know, what the, well, what the story is. Here. And we had actually investigated a house where he had gone to and had his leg. That uh, was the Samuel Mudd house. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. Doctor, they, my, your name is Mudd. That's where yeah, that phrase comes exactly. from. Exactly. And there was a lot of, we, uh, there was a lot of inside information that we were given even there. So, I don't know, a lot of strange things. But uh, definitely a big shout out and a thanks to W.C. Jameson for coming on. Again, tomorrow night is a best of Beyond Reality uh, Radio, so make sure you tune in. Head over to Facebook.com slash Beyond Reality Radio, like the Facebook page for us. That's going to pretty much do it for us, Jason and JV, and we'll catch you all soon. Beyond Reality Radio is hosted by Jason Hawes and J.V. Johnson and produced by Alexandria Johnson and Slick Eddie Edwards for Intercom Radio. Beyond Reality Radio is distributed by Westwood One Radio Networks. Stop by our Facebook page and say hello. Follow the hosts on Facebook as well. For Jason Hawes, follow at JasonHawes.taps. For J.V. Johnson, follow at JVJParanormal. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Radio or you have a suggestion for a guest, contact Slick Eddie Edwards at SlickEddieEdwards at gmail.com. Be sure to visit our chat room as well at beyondrealityradio.com. Thanks for listening.